Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. I uh, had a pastor tell me once that uh, when we get to heaven... Because as Christians, one of the things that we believe is, is that when this world ends, is that we get to, you know, and Jesus comes back for us, so we get to live in heaven, and everybody can talks about what heaven is like. Well, I had a pastor, and he told me that when we get to heaven, the only people that will still have jobs are pastors. He said no one else will have any work to do. There won't be anything to do. The only people that will actually have work will be pastors, because even in heaven, they will still be gathering people together and preaching and teaching about Jesus. And I thought to myself, okay, that's pretty cool. And then I became a pastor. And then I was like, hold on a second. And I had this vision of all of my friends, which means some of you, All of my friends coming around and they're saying, hey, we're going to go play with the lions and the tigers and the man-eating alligators. Come on, let's go. And I would be like, I can't go. I have to finish writing the sermon for this week. And I'd see them all running to go have fun and I would be stuck writing. And I just thought, man, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, today we're starting a new series, and and our new series is called Peace of Work. And you can see that you might have heard that phrase, a piece of work, but it's not the peace like a portion piece, but it's the peace, P-E-A-C-E, that kind of piece of work. The Hebrew word for the word, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom, and when we normally talk about peace, the, the, the idea that most of us have is, is peace meaning the absence of conflict or the absence of war, the cessation of hostilities. So when we think of peace, that's what we normally think of. But the word shalom is so much more deeper than that. It, it's so much more. Shalom actually has a meaning that means wholeness, completeness. Um, The phrase that is often used to describe shalom is nothing missing, nothing broken. And so there's this sense in shalom that everything is as it should be, that the paint hasn't rubbed off, that there are no dings on it, that, that there's no parts missing. Everything is whole and complete, nothing missing, nothing broken. So over the the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the shalom of work, the, the wholeness and the completeness of work, the completeness that comes from work, the completeness that is supposed to come to us at work, and the completeness that we find in work. And today we're going to start by correcting a misunderstanding that many people, maybe even many of you who are here with us today or who are listening to us online, that we have about work. Because for many people, work is something that we survive in order to get to a place 
where we can feel that peace, that shalom, isn't it? We, we use terms like, like the daily grind, the rat race. That's, that's the kind of imagery that we have about work. And we, we think to ourselves that if I can just get through my work, then I can get to a place where I can get this peace, this shalom, this wholeness. And what I want to stress today, what I, I hope that we're going to find through these next few weeks together, is that you're going to see that shalom doesn't come in spite of work. Shalom actually comes through work. And so the key thought that I, I, I want us to keep in our mind as we go through today is this, is that God brings wholeness and completeness. That's shalom. God brings wholeness and completeness to the world with work. Now, they not, may not make complete sense right now, so I want you to just kind of pin that to the wall so you can think about it. But you know how it's interesting that you can pretty much tell what stage of life a person is by the kind of mail that they get? Like if you're 16 and under, the only mail you ever get are cards with checks in them, right? That's the only thing you get. Then you, you get into your late teens and into your 20s, and the only mail you get are magazines. Fashion magazines, sports magazines, that's the thing that comes in the mail for you. And all of a sudden, you hit your, your late 20s, your 30s, you're, you're getting into the workforce, and 90% of your mail is what? Bills. bills. That's all that comes in the mail. Bills and people trying to give you a credit card. And then, after years and years of getting bills, something arrives in the mail, and when it does, you know that your life has changed completely. For some people, they're excited to get it. For others, they dread it. It's an envelope that's about this big, and it's your invitation to join AARP. I don't know how they know, but they know, and it comes in in the mail, and you can see it. It's like, a, it's like a warning. It's your turn. And when that comes, all of a sudden, you start noticing different commercials on television. You see, see these commercials, and you see them saying, have you saved enough for retirement? Or, or these flashy scenes from different places, and it says, where would you like to live in your retirement? Or you see some guy, and, and he's supposed to be 80, but he's probably only 40 the way he looks on the, on the screen, and it's like, you've worked hard, and he's holding a tennis racket, right? And you can still see the plastic wrap is still on the racket, but no one else can tell, and he's like, you've worked hard. It's time to live the life you've always wanted. You've seen these commercials. You see, what we think of work is very much shaped by the, culture that, by the culture that we live in and what culture tells us about work. Culture tells us that work is a necessary evil. Culture tell us that, tells us that work is a means to an end. Culture tells us that we have to work hard now, as hard as you can, so that one day you won't have to work anymore. And the problem is, is that culture's view of work is different from God's view of work. 
So today I want to explore that a little, and I want to start by reading, and this is a somewhat lengthy passage from a book in Scripture that was written by the prophet Isaiah. And for those of you who want to follow along, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 60, and we're going to start in verse 1. And like I said, this is a long thing, so I want you for a minute to just get an image of what it is that Isaiah is talking about here, because this is Isaiah, and God gave him an image, a picture of the nation of Israel. And it wasn't actually the nation of Israel, it's meaning to be all of us. So listen to this, it's in verse 1, we're going to put it on the screen, but if you don't want to follow along on the screen, just listen to how Isaiah says it. He says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming home from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you, and they will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of Kedar will be given to you. The rams of Nabaioth will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings and I will make my temple glorious." And what do I see flying like clouds to Israel, like doves to their nests? They are ships from the ends of the earth, from lands that trust in me, led by the great ships of Tarshish. And they are bringing the people of Israel home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has filled you with splendor. Violence will disappear from the land. The desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls, and praise will be on the lips of all who enter. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night, for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. The sun will never set, the moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end." All your people will be righteous, they will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. Wow, what a picture that is. And when we read this, it's easy for us to think that this is an account of the nation of Israel returning from exile. See, both biblical and non-biblical historical records confirm that there was a nation of Israel and that nation was exiled in Egypt. Those same historical and biblical records confirm that there was a nation of Israel that was exiled in Babylon. So the nation had been exiled and they did return. And when we read this, it sounds like Israel's triumphant, triumphant return back to Jerusalem, coming back from exile. Everyone is happy. Wealth is coming to them. A time of prosperity and peace is coming. And that's what we see when we read this. But see, the problem with that, with that concept is 
is that the things that are happening here, that this picture that Isaiah is, is showing us, those things never ever happened. In fact, those things could not have possibly happened in the world that we live in today. Think of it. He says violence will disappear from the land. That certainly hasn't happened. Your days of mourning will come to an end. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night. These things have not occurred. So the picture that that Isaiah is painting for us is not a picture of something that has happened in the past. It is not a picture of something that has already taken place. He is painting a picture for us of the future. He is painting a picture of paradise restored. This is God putting everything right, everything back the way that it was supposed to be. And so what Scripture tells us, and and if you are a Bible person, you've read the Bible, what Scripture tells us is, is that God created the world in perfection. And then man sinned and the world began to decay. But one day God is going to restore the world to perfection. He is going to restore the world to the way that it was when he first created it. And that's what this picture is. It's a picture of God restoring paradise. But the one thing that we miss, the one thing that we can find in this set of scriptures, that long thing that I read, is that in the original paradise, God created work. When he restores paradise, there's going to be work. Look at what he talks about. He's, when he talks about Midian and Kedar, those are the farthest northern areas of the world. That, that was known at the time. And when he talks about Sheba, he's talking about the farthest south. So it would be like saying everything from Alaska to Chile, right? He's, he's painting a picture of everything that is happening in the world. This is all that is happening. And Isaiah is, some, is saying that they're coming from all over the world and they're bringing their wealth to Jerusalem. And when people are coming and they're coming together and they're bringing their wealth, they aren't doing it out of obligation. They aren't doing it because they're a conquered people and, and they're paying their taxes to a foreign occupier. It says that they are coming with their wealth to worship the Lord and in praise of the Lord. The wealth of many lands, they're being brought to God as an offering to Him. And you look at those verses and it says that they're bringing flocks, flocks of different animals and rams. It says that they're bringing gold and silver and frankincense. Now, all of these things are a product of work. They don't just have silver bars and gold bars lying around. The animals don't just magically come together and, and, and walk towards, towards where they're going. There are still people who are caring for them. So in the future, in the perfection that God created the world to be, there still needs people, us, to care for the flocks. We still have to mine and refine gold and silver. You still have to harvest frankincense, which is a whole huge process all in itself. See, Isaiah is giving us this picture of of paradise, and in paradise, there is work. And everything that happens, everything that is being brought to God is a product of work. It's an act of worship. 
It's an expression of praise. And this, when we think about this, it, it seems like that would be odd. Because if I'm going to a place that's called heaven, I don't want to be doing any work. I kind of want to just be kicking back, you know, eating some nachos. I don't want to have to work. So how could that possibly be? It's interesting because every other, just about every other creation story throughout history, if you look at work, work is always something evil. You've ever um, heard the term Pandora's box? So in the Greek myth where there's Pandora's box, what actually happens is, is that the gods give Pandora a, a box. Well, actually, if you read the original Greek, they give her a jar. And I don't know, somewhere in the translation, it ended up being box, but she actually gets a jar. And so inside the jar that the gods gave her, it contained death and all of the evils of the world. And they told her not to open it. So here's Pandora, and she's sitting with this jar. And everything in the world is perfect and beautiful and wonderful because all of the bad things in the world are in that jar. But Pandora was curious, so she opened the jar. And before she could get the cover back on, death and all of the evil in the world came out. And that's why there's evil in the world. And one of those evils was work. That's what the Greeks believed, that work came about as an evil in the world. There was, a, in the 1800s, they discovered um, uh, this artifact, and it was called the Enuma Elish. And, and it was actually the oldest account that we have of the Babylonian creation myth. And according to the Babylonians, what, what happened was is that the gods got together, and they created the world. And then they saw that in order to keep the world up, they needed someone to maintain it. And they were the ones that were maintaining the world. And they were like, hold on a second, we're gods, and we're doing all this grunt work. So what they decided to do was, was they decided that someone else needed to do the work. So Marduk, who was the ruler of the gods, and he's described as this four-eyed, four-eared um, giant, Marduk had a solution. And, and this is what... The Enuma Elish, the translation was of what Marduk decided. He said this, Blood will I compose, bring a skeleton into being, produce a lowly primitive creature, man shall be his name. To him be charged the service that the gods may then have rest. See, work to the gods in, in the Babylonians, work was too demeaning for the gods. So he created humans to do the work for them. And over and over in culture, we see this idea that work is demeaning, work is evil, work is bad. And that's what culture tells us even today. And yet when we look at Scripture, when we look at Genesis, what do we see? We see God working. We see God working with his hands in the dirt. And he's working with joy. Imagine that God creates everything. He creates paradise. Everything is perfect. And he puts man inside paradise. And what does he tell them to do? He tells them to work. 
Because in God's creation, the beautiful life, the, the happy life, the perfect life includes work. God brings wholeness and completeness to the world with work. And God is a God who is a manual laborer. He, he works with his hands in the dirt. And even when Jesus comes, he doesn't come as an aristocratic philosopher as a, as a Greek God would have come. He doesn't come as a military hero as a Roman God would have come. He comes as a carpenter. He comes as a, as a skilled laborer. He comes as the guy who, who goes to work every day with work boots and a, and a metal lunchbox and, and a tuna sandwich in it, and he has got grease underneath his fingers. That's the kind of guy Jesus was. He worked. And so the idea that work is something that is demeaning to God is crazy because it's something that God created even in paradise for us to do. It's not demeaning. It's dignifying. And the great thing about it is, is that it doesn't matter what kind of work that is. The <clears throat> Martin Luther, um, when he was talking about this idea of work, he, he it was looking at Scripture, and he sees in Scripture where God says that he's going to feed everybody, that he, he, he provides that for everybody. But he doesn't do it through a miracle. He provides food for people, for his people, through ordinary work, through farmers, through drivers, through sales clerks, through stock people, through, through people who bag your groceries. This, is, this ordinary work is the means by which God uses to care for His people. There, there's a, a part of the scripture where it says, that we read where it says that God makes the bars of our gates secure. In other words, He makes our city secure. Well, how does He do that? He does that through legislators and law enforcement officers. He does that through first responders and politicians. See, sometimes we think that these are necessary evils, and they're not. These are the ways that God cares for His creation. Even the things that we look at that are the lowest end of the work spectrum. The, the things that we hear politicians say all the time that Americans won't do that work. Cleaning up the house, picking up your trash. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't clean your house and no one else did? If you didn't hire somebody to do it or if you didn't do it, if you didn't do that work or if nobody picked up the trash? I complain all the time because I got a little trash can and a lot of trash. And sometimes the lot of trash doesn't fit in the little trash can. Those types of work that sometimes we look down on people who do that kind of work, those are the most important parts of work. Because the reality is, is if you didn't clean your house, eventually you would die. Disease is a bad thing. Imagine if nobody picked up our trash and we just let it pile out on the street. See... All work, and this is something that we're going to be talking about more next week, but all work is how God cares for His creation through ordinary work. And no matter what kind of work you're doing, you serve God by doing your work well. There was an English minister, and his name was Dick Lucas, and 
And uh, he preached this sermon on Joseph. And for those of you that don't know Joseph, Joseph was this uh, interesting guy that we talk about in Scripture. Some of you know him because you read him in, in the Bible. Some of you know him from the 1970 Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, <laughs> which, by the way, the one starring uh, Donny Osmond. <clears throat> Some of you know him from the uh, 2000 DreamWorks animation film, Joseph, King of Dreams. That one's my favorite. But Joseph was this guy, and he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he was sold to this rich man, and he was the lowest of servants. But he did good work, and eventually he was put in charge of the house. He ends up in prison, and he gets to prison, and he is the lowest of the prisoners. And he does good work, and eventually he becomes in charge of the entire prison. And because of his good work, one day he is put in front of Pharaoh. And Joseph gets put in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. Do you know what Joseph is? Joseph is an administrator. He's a civil servant. He works for the government. He works for a non-believing, pagan, anti-God government. But he does his work well. And th this is what Dick Lucas wrote. He said this. He said, if you were to go up to a book table at a church and you saw a biography with the title, The Man God Uses, or The Woman God Uses, you would immediately think it was the story of a missionary or a minister or a specialist in some sort of spiritual work, pastoring, mission, leading Bible studies. That's because the church has conditioned you to think this way. But in fact, what you have here in Joseph is a highly successful manager. He's not a preacher. He's not a missionary. He's not leading a Bible study group. In the long term, I think being a preacher, missionary, or leading a Bible study group in many ways is easier. There is a certain spiritual glamour in doing it. I don't know about that, but all right. And what we should be doing each day is easier to discern more black and white, not so gray. It is often hard to get Christians to see that God is willing not just to use men and women in ministry, but in law, in medicine, in business, in the arts. That is the great shortfall today. There is no work that God does not use to bring wholeness and completeness to the world. There's this, um, there's this scene in the movie Pretty Woman, which is one of my favorite movies. And Richard Gere's character, um, Edward Lewis, he's talking to his lawyer, Phil, who was played by George Costanza. Wait, that's not right. Phil was played by the guy who plays George Costanza. I can't remember his name. But Edward Lewis is there, and he's a very rich guy, and he's talking to his lawyer. And in that scene, there's this look on his face, and it's a look of sadness and this really deep sense of regret. And he says to Phil, almost to himself, he says, we don't build anything, Phil. We don't make anything. He's rich. He, he makes more money than he'll ever know how to spend. And yet he's not happy. 
his work doesn't make him happy. Do you know that there is supposed to be an inherent joy in doing work? And many of us have experienced that. It might have been when you, when you were at work and you finally finished that big project and it was so great and you couldn't wait for it to get going. Or maybe you saved the life of a patient and you look back on it and you go, wow, that was great. It, it might have been finally making that big sale or, or seeing the look on a student's face when they finally get it. But for some of us, we've experienced that when we've hung a shelf in a closet and it fit perfectly. Or, or when we spent the whole day out in the garden and we look back and all the weeds are gone and all the flowers are blooming and the lawn is cut just right. And we could look at that and we can go, wow. And it makes us happy. Work is part of God's original design for us. And the interesting thing is, is that all of the hard parts of work came about because of sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they made that first, first sin where they did not trust God, do you know what the curse was for Adam and Eve? The curse was that from now on, work was going to be hard. That was what the curse was. It says that work would now become painful toil because before that, work was not painful toil. Scripture says that now there are going to be thorns and thistles, those things that irritate you and annoy you or make it inconvenient or even sometimes painful to do your work. All of that came about because of sin, because there weren't any thorns or thistles before. It says that from now on, when you work, you are going to sweat. Because before that, there was just joy in work. It wasn't labor. It was something that brought us wholeness and completeness. Even with Eve, labor was going to be painful. But underneath that painful toil, underneath all of the difficulties, many of us have still experienced the satisfaction and joy that comes from doing good work. And that is because God is a God who works and finds satisfaction and joy in His work. And He created you and me to experience the same joy and same satisfaction in our work because it is with the work that we do that God is able to accomplish His will in the world today. Work is not a curse. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is a blessing to us and it is through work that God blesses other people. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.